AutoTrader makes buying a car easier than ever. How? With the largest inventory of new and used vehicles, AutoTrader lets you shop for cars by monthly payment, so you know what you'll pay before you buy. And you know the prices are good because they're backed by Kelly Blue Book. Finally, it's easy. Start shopping at autotrader.com slash finally, it's easy. Well, good morning, good evening, good good night, good grief. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, my name is Willie Lawson of Morning Report and fightbackmedia.com, 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 and fightbackmedia TV. Um, last week was fantastic. I had, our, I had my friend Melanie Collette of Melanie Talk, Money Talk with Melanie, um, talking about um, the, the effect of gasoline prices on normal families and budgets. And I thought, you know what? That, that was really good, but it skimmed the surface. I need to find somebody who knew a little more background. So we may get in the weeds a little bit. Take notes, you know, rewind the video if you have to, to get the points out. But my friend, Kevin Batts of Red River TV has, has so kindly decided to join us here um, this evening. And we're doing this at two in the morning. Okay, well, it's not two in the morning, but it's late. Uh, <laughs> both of us have, fit, have finished our regular work day. So we thought it was important enough that you have the kind of information that you need not necessarily from some politician, but from somebody who's in who knows a lot about the industry and has spent years in the industry. Um, so I asked Kevin, and Kevin said, "Yeah, okay, why? Why not?" Kevin, thank you ever so much for spending some time with us here um, on 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 Fight Back Media TV. Thank you ever so much again. Um, and I know you've got a family that that couldn't wait to see you, and because you've been gone all day, <laughs> and you decided to spend time with with the old graybeard. I appreciate it. How have you been? I've been fantastic. It's been, I think I come on here like once every like eight months or something like which, that. Which is ridiculously too yeah, long. Yeah, pretty too long. That's pretty much too long. It's yeah, too very long. much too long. Yeah. Well, we're still doing the, um, we're still doing the Red River TV thing, project46.com. And that's our website. And we, right now, we're doing a documentary. And I also am producing three other shows right now. So I pretty much run all over the state shooting interviews and doing different projects. And our love, of course, is the documentary that we're going to be putting out in the next two months. We're actually going to Denver this weekend to start shooting our next documentary, which is going to be a real doozy. I have wow. to come on and do some promotional stuff for it when it when it comes out. Yes, because you do. it's going to knock your socks off. That's the stuff that we're uncovering. Can't wait. Cannot so, wait. What I wanted to go into today is that um, basically this is, I'm not an expert. You know, I've been in the oil and gas business, working in oil and gas for probably almost 10 years. So I've got to see behind the curtain a lot of things. I've worked in the field, as they say, like out where the actual oil field is. And I've actually, right now I'm working in an office. So I kind of get to see behind the curtain of the things that go on but I'm by no means an expert. This is a very complex industry like all other industries, but I do get a lot of the information that I will cite from reading. And you, you won't get any information off of watching TV, no matter who you watch. You could watch Fox News all day. You're not gonna learn anything. You have to read the news. That's the only way you're gonna retain anything. So anyway, so without further ado, I guess I'll just go into it. You, you got anything? No, please do. I'm sure. 
you've got bullet points, you're prepared because that's because <laughs> that's how you do. Um, and y'all know that's not how I do it all. So uh fortunately for you today, um please tell please tell us what your thoughts are on on, on, on what's been happening. So let's start with the first thing. The first thing that people all over the place I see get wrong, and it's just incredible how many people get this main thing wrong, and it feeds a lot of different narratives. The price of oil, the price of oil is set by the global market. What does that mean? That means there are analysts and there are a lot of other people in China, there are people in Ireland, there are people looking at all these different data points. It's almost like the stock market. There are things happening all over the world when the, the, the price of oil is just ebbing and flowing like it normally does. Sometimes it goes up without rhyme or reason from what you can see, but what you don't see is maybe there was um, a facility that was down. There was a facility in Houston just last weekend that was down that um, it was a um, it was a piece of refinery equipment down in Houston. And this refinery equipment being down cost the, the regional supply of oil, I think like 90,000 barrels a day. So little things like this that you don't hear about and that aren't in the newspaper that really isn't big news, or maybe a pipeline has to get shut down in Mexico for maintenance because some people were trying to drill into it to steal oil, that kind of thing like that could tie up, you know, a few hundred thousand barrels a day in production. So there's a lot of little things that go on, or there could be um, a pipeline explosion here in Oklahoma. We just had a few months ago that tied up the price of um, natural gas just in that little region. It probably made price spike in this little area. So prices are set at the global level and they're set at the regional level. So how that affects at the regional level is that um, you have refineries on the East Coast, you have refineries on the West Coast, you have different areas have different refineries and that's where all these pipelines feed into all these different refineries. So you won't necessarily, that's why you see a lot of the prices in California don't match the price across the country because of a lot of the regulations and things they have going on in California and where they get their oil from is setting that price. Um, so, and you also, that's how you have little pockets where like, for example, Cal Colorado, they used to produce a lot of gas and the specific kind of gas that they made, they made so much in that little area that it collapsed the price in that region and they couldn't get the gas out. So it pretty much collapsed to the point where it made the whole industry crash. So that's why they stopped, one of the main reasons why they stopped drilling in that area. But just to stress the point that the global market sets the price, a lot of different factors set the price. It's not some person, it's not some company, it's all of it together. We are a global economy, as they like to say, and oil plays a lot of roles in that. And so um, let's move on to my next bullet point. Okay, why certain American oil companies? Okay, so this is why, it's it's difficult when you say, okay, well, why when America was drilling so much, why were they exporting some of it? Well, because a lot of the oil, there's different blends of oil. So in America, we create what's called light sweet crude. And there's there are thousands of different things that come out of that light sweet crude, a lot of different petrochemicals, and only a small percentage of that, of that is actually um uh, gasoline. I think it's like high grade and jet fuel or something like that. I don't even think you can make diesel out of the light sweet crude that we have here in America. You have to blend it. So you have to get the heavier crudes and the heavier crudes come from Canada, South America, 
and um, Russia and Saudi Arabia and a few other places. Um, so that's why whenever we cut off the Russian, the amount of oil that was coming in from Russia, that's why we had to go to South America and ask them to bring their oil up because we had to replace that heavy. We we didn't have that here in America. So we produce light sea crude. So that's why people are like, okay, well, why did he go down to South South America? I wouldn't say, I mean, it's uh, it's it's uh it's Venezuela, you know, that's a big deal. And Venezuela is a horrible dictatorship, and we should not be lifting sanctions on them in order to get their oil. But you have to understand why we did that primarily is because we had to replace that amount. They had to, well, the Biden administration felt like they had to do it when really if the global market was a free market that that um the people would just start buying shiploads of heavy crude from somewhere else and that pull on the market would make someone produce it somewhere and bring it over to here at a market rate but anyway so when you had that part getting cut off it actually you know of course it made the price spike for a second because of the uncertainty of where the, the oil is gonna come from. And you see right now, it's kind of going back down. And a lot of that has to do with the, the things going on with Ukraine. I think they, let's take a step back for a second. So when you see a lot of things happen and when you, we, with these war, with the war and everything going on with Ukraine and everything like that, when you see the prices moving around and you see, um, global leaders saying all these different things and you really don't know what's true because there's a lot of disinformation going on out there. Social media companies are blocking a lot of things. What you need to have your eye on though, whenever you're seeing positive things is you need to look at the market. What does the market think? Because these guys actually bet their money on what is actually about to happen and what is really happening. So what you saw today was you saw the price started dropping dramatically. I think it actually went below $100 today and that had a lot to do with the fact that the market thinks that maybe they've reached a deal with Russia to give them an off-ramp to get out of this stupid mess that they've made got themselves into by invading Ukraine. So anyway, side tangent. So let's go to my next point. My next point is um, why American oil companies aren't drilling like crazy. Now, it's a, there's a lot of different factors. The number one factor why American oil companies aren't drilling like crazy has to do with the fact that when we were drilling like crazy a few years ago, we did not have fiscal discipline. We made a lot of promises about, you know, the price of oil is never going down. We're never going to stop making these profits. And we weren't being, we weren't being fiscally disciplined. And a lot of capital flooded into the oil and gas industry in America in the oil patch. And all that capital, I would say, I think we burned close to a trillion dollars in capital and it was lost from Wall Street and all the major banks. So after that, a lot of companies went out of business, you know, as it should in the free market. But also a lot of these companies, like the company I work for, made promises to Wall Street and said, look, if you can give us access to capital again at fair rates, we're going to prove to you that we can be fiscally disciplined. So a lot of these companies that are in this, that they're, they're like, um, we're, we're exploration companies, that's what we're classified as. So we're, I consider us more like medium-sized companies. So the medium-sized oil companies, that excludes Exxon, that excludes ConocoPhillips and the majors, the big companies. And then the mom and pop companies at the, at the bottom, these are like real small regional oil companies that, that aren't on the stock market. So the ones in the middle, American oil companies that are medium-sized, 
that are on the the wall that are on you know they're on Wall Street that have you know publicly traded names. We've all taken a vow of being fiscally disciplined. And so what does that mean for oil and gas in America? What that means is that we are not going to be drilling like crazy when the price of oil goes up. That means that any profits that we make, we are going to give those profits back by way of dividends back to Wall Street. So when you have that going on, we are going to maintain what this is what all the CEOs are saying right now. And if you hear what they're saying, it's not political what they're saying. They're not shoving it to Biden or anything. This is what they were saying under Trump. We're going to say fiscally disciplined. Our company had, a, I think it's um, what well, we were going to spend a year on growth and um, expenses were like a billion dollars or was it a billion? Um, let's just I don't I don't remember exactly how much it was. Let's just say it was 100 billion. So every year we're going to spend $100 billion on all our expenses. That means drilling new wells. It means hiring people, paying for salaries, and all these other things. We're only going to keep it in $100 billion. When the price of oil goes up, usually what companies do is they take on a lot of debt because they need capital so they can fund all these the, the scaling up of operations. But we're not going to do that this time because we're being fiscally disciplined. So we're actually going to tread water. So year over year, we would do... 20%, 30% growth in production and oil production. And that was the numbers that we go to Wall Street with and they, they would give us more money because they see our valuation. Well, now because we're being fiscally disciplined, year over year might turn to 5% or 2% or 1%. And we'll keep that, we'll keep that budget at $100 billion. So all these companies like us that produce the predominantly the, the, the majority that made them, you know, where the majority oil produces in America, we're all trying to maintain that certain production, mainly because of our lack of fiscal discipline during the last run up when the price got up over $100 and we went crazy and we pretty much burned a lot of bridges in Wall Street. Now, there's a lot of consternation about that in the oil and gas sector because essentially what we're doing is giving our money to Wall Street and what Wall Street is doing with it is they're funding liberal Democrats and they're funding um, green movement, green, green energy companies and all these different things that are going to put us out of business. So we're almost paying for our own demise. I personally, my personal opinion on it is that, <coughs> oh, excuse me, my personal opinion on that strategy is that I think if as a business, if you're not looking to grow, then you're going to die. There is no, if you want to be a utility, that's fine, but you can't be a utility if you don't have a monopoly. You know, I'm sure everyone's familiar with, you know, their cable company in their area. They might have, they might have only one cable company because that's a utility. There's only like one. Same thing with the gas company, the water company and all that. Oil companies essentially tried to turn their whole profit model into utilities because they think that's, they think that's what Wall Street wants. And, that, and to, to an extent, yeah, that is what Wall Street wants right now from oil and gas companies like us. But we weren't designed to be that way. We were designed to rip and run when the price of oil goes up. And we are the relief valve of the world. And when I say that is American oil companies are the relief valve of the world. So when the price goes up a certain amount, we produce, we can scale up and produce that much more to drive the price back down. So we were always there. And when it works right, it's ebbing and flowing. And if we like the price to be around, we don't want high oil prices. We don't like seeing $90 barrel oil because that creates destruction. It creates destruction in the economy. It makes people broke more, more broke. You know, it hurts, it hurts the economy. 
It creates a lot of price distortions. It creates bubbles. Higher prices are not good for oil companies. We want to see $40, $50 a barrel. We can make money, I think, all the way down to certain com companies like ours. We can make money down to like $25 a barrel. But we really want to let it sit for, for a good even kill where you're not getting too many too many because you get distortions on the downslope too if you get too low you get some distortions you really need to be around like 40 to 50 in america so let's say 40 to 60 let's say that so you want to ebb and flow between 40 and 60 and as the price goes up we'll drill a little bit more to make the price go back down and then we won't drill as much when the price goes back down because it's not as profitable so that's kind of how we like that's kind of how we see it and how we like to grow now on top of that, what's also depressing capital coming into oil and gas are what's called ESG, and that's environmental social governance. Now, what that is, if you're familiar with the social credit score, if you know what that is yes. in China, this is a lot like that. The ESG, every company has an ESG score, and that's how it works. And how ESG scores work is, they look at your, they look at a company like mine, they say, well, you have a diversity and inclusion section in your company, that's 10 points. You have this woke class, this woke um, person that you brought in that's gonna have these classes, it's gonna tell white people that they're horrible, that's a bigger score. So people think that these, that, that Coca-Cola and all these other companies are doing these woke things because they are woke. Actually not, the boardrooms are, you know, these are very conservative, by nature, businessmen tend to be more conservative. So what you have when you see this ESG score, you got to get access to capital. If your ESG score is an 80 and then your other company, doesn't matter if it's a oil company, no matter what company it is, say you and the guy down the street both sell lawnmowers, his ESG score is 60, the other guy's ESG score is 80. That's going to go on your stock market ticker. When someone looks at your company, they're going to say, okay, what's this? What's their score with, you know, what's their CapEx? What's their um, profit margin? What's this? What's their year over year? How much did they make? And also, what's their ESG score? Because I want to make sure that they're environmentally conscious, social, they have good social governance. So these are things that are, this is like a woke policy that's infiltrated Wall Street. And so in order for you to get capital, because the lifeblood of any business is capital, if you're going to have a small business, you guys can eat small business right now. They got a line of credit down at the bank to meet payroll and to meet the invoices. They got accounts receivable. If you're if you own a business or you are in a you're in a work at a big company, you know about accounts receivable. You have all these different inflows coming in, but money hasn't hit yet. It takes 30 days. So you got to get that you got to get that capital from the bank to to make up for that or a line of credit. These are things that keep the economy moving. Capital. So to tie capital up with an ESG score, it essentially turns companies woke because they are trying to compete with other companies for that same capital. So my company is trying to compete with other oil companies for the same capital. There's not a lot of capital because they're mad at us. Remember, we went crazy last time, so they're mad at us. So we're trying to up the ante on, we're trying to beat every, we're all trying to race to the bottom on trying to give as much money as possible on in dividends and as much money back as possible for the um, for the um, the money that we make for, um, oh, I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say. Let's, let's talk about an example. Like for example, a couple of years ago, the oil and gas sector 
that that mainly produced gas, they made record profits during that huge freeze last year that happened in Texas and Oklahoma and all across the United States. And we made more money, I would say, in like two or three days than we probably made the entire year. Wow. Just because the price of gas shot up that high because there was a price spike because no one was able to produce gas because everything was down because everything was frozen. So there were certain companies that were able to produce and those companies that were able to produce when they made all that extra money. I mean, some of these companies made an extra, they were projected to make 800 million that year and they made 2 billion that year because of that, or they made 3 billion or 4 billion. So what they did with that extra money is they didn't keep it. People think they kept it and put it in their pocket. A lot of these companies paid that back in dividends. They gave it right to Wall Street. It went right into Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's pockets for the, you know, for the next election, you know, because that's what that's how it works with Wall Street. But um, so when you're talking about drill, baby, drill, you're not gonna get drill, baby, drill, because one, we don't have access to capital. We gotta be woke. Only way you're going to get capital is being woke. And so that's why all these companies are getting woke right now. There's nothing to do with what they want to do. It's just that it's just got to happen that way. You got to bring in a diversity inclusion officer. That's going to raise your ESG score. You got to say you're down for all these green initiatives. That's going to raise your ESG score. You got to say that you're going to go um, carbon neutral. That's going to raise your ESG score. All these different things. They've tied the Chinese credit system to our monetary system and that's why we're seeing these things happen with a lot of these companies and that's one of the reasons why those two reasons together and a few other factors of course is the reason why you won't see oil and gas companies drilling it really doesn't have a lot to do with the price of oil and gas besides the fact that we're not the relief valve for the world anymore the reason the price of oil is high right now is because biden in the united states and the state department has been snubbing Saudi Arabia and to pay them, pay us back, they're raising the price of oil and they've been doing it for the past year. And that's something that just hasn't really just been largely reported. But a lot of what's Not going on with the price of oil has a lot to do with that. And anytime I write, I mean, right now we have the war and all that other stuff. And, but I'm talking about it in the aggregate. Auto Trader makes buying a car easier than ever. How? With the largest inventory of new and used vehicles, Auto Trader lets you shop for cars by monthly payment. So you know what you'll pay before you buy. And you know the prices are good because they're backed by Kelly Blue Book. Finally, it's easy. Start shopping at autotrader.com slash finally, it's easy. What forges commitment? In America's Navy, you'll think about quitting. From the drills, the aches, the cold. But shipmates face every challenge as one. Every push to the edge. Every call to defend. Because out here, we're part of something bigger. A force that never quits. The sea forges commitment in every sailor. America's Navy, forged by the sea. Discover commitment at Navy.com. The re and of course inflation. So you tie though, you pour all these different things into the pot, and there you get you get what we have right now. But these are all different factors. So the next thing we're gonna go into is, you know, I've already talked about this kind of is shale. American shale is what we produce. And we get it through fracking, of course. And this is production that can go online quick. So when someone tells you that, oh, we can't bring on production quick in the United States, it's not how it works. Yeah, it takes a while to get those drilling rigs out there. But I can tell you, compared to Saudi Arabia and compared to a lot of these other countries, 
we can ramp up production very fast, very, very fast and very dramatically. But we're not going to do that, like for the reason I said before, but we can ramp up production very fast. But the problem is, was that we only produce light seek sweet crude, like I said before, it's a very light crude. And you know, there's a lot of different things in it that's good and that will help lower the price. But really what you want to see is you want to see when crude, when light seed crude goes up, you got to blend that with heavier crudes. That's how that works. So if you don't have the heavier crudes coming online and only people right now that there's, there's a lack of capacity, Russia, if Russia was still producing, they're at, they're at almost a hundred percent. They're not going to be able to produce anymore. So the only places that can really ramp up that are really throttling back their wells is Saudi Arabia in Venezuela. Venezuela isn't throttling the wells are under sanctions. But if they weren't under sanctions, they could they could scale up really quick. So these are just some things to consider. So as far as Russia is concerned, I won't go too much into the um the geopolitical things about that. But the main thing I will say is that I, I, you're looking at two sides that neither side is good. You know, you got Zelensky here. He was in the Pentagon. He was in the um, Panama Papers. He's very well funded by uh, a billionaire, Ukrainian billionaire funded him. He's the same guy that owns Burisma. He's the same guy that paid Hunter Biden $50,000 a month. And um, he's the same guy that owned the production company that had um, One Plus One Media. That's the same company that um, Zelensky's show was aired on. He's the same billionaire that started the political party that was named after that show that Zelensky was on when he decided to run for office and fund his campaign. And the same thing with Vladimir Putin. These are these are some bad hombres. And this has been the piggy bank of the West. And it has been a proxy war that has been a silent proxy war for a long time in that area with a lot of different things going on, a lot of money getting washed and a lot of hands getting, you know, spread out with money on top of it. So it's a proxy war that turned hot. That's what this is. So there aren't any good sides in this. But as far as Russian oil is concerned, Russian oil will find a home, just like Iranian oil finds a home today. They'll find a way to trade it. If they have to do it through using China as China-backed currencies, they will get it out. Just like when Iran, Iran never stopped producing oil. Iran was selling oil to France. People, a lot, everybody knew it in Europe. Europe was taking Russian, uh, Iranian oil when it was under sanction. They did it illegally. There's ways to do it. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Just like Syria is under um, Syria is under a lot of sanctions right now. Syrian oil still finds its way to the market. Now it's reduced and it's at a reduced price. But I mean, if you're on the black market and you're selling oil for, you know, 30% off, 25% off, somebody's going to buy it. And it ain't like in the one thing you got to think about with oil. This is the funniest part. And this is something before I, I stop. And um, this is what this is just, you can't stop it. It's almost like gold. So the pipelines that run from Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan or whatever, starts with a K. They have they have um, oil and gas pipelines that run through all these Eastern Bloc countries. That oil gets that oil meets up with Russian pipelines. So Russian oil is mixed in with the or, or gas or whatever from these Eastern Bloc countries, and and Russia's been managing it, and no one says anything because they know. The, the sanctions really don't mean anything in terms of, of that. It does create minor, it creates disruptions, it creates price distortions. That's one thing that it does do. And, you know, Russia, 
isn't doing a good thing invading Ukraine. But I will say this, like I said before, you know, we had bioweapons labs all over that country. That's been confirmed by Victoria Newland at the State Department. They've been, they overthrew that country government and installed the current president that's in there right now. Our State Department did that. So there are no good sides in this. And the oil will find a home and the oil will go to market and the price of oil as this contention continue to de-escalate as they as they, they started de-escalating the day, you could tell because the price of oil started dropping. As you see the price of oil drop, you'll know that it's de-escalating. They're finding a solution. So hopefully they find some kind of off-ramp where Putin can save face and everyone can go and feel like they won the day, you know. So otherwise we're gonna end up in World War III. But before we end, I just wanted to say that, you know, that oil always finds a way out. It's hard to beat oil because the world needs oil. And it's not the fact that you need oil to start your car. You need oil to run your cell phone. You need oil to, a lot of different medicines that we have rely on oil for a lot of the different materials that go into that. There's a lot of different things, everything around you, the paint on your walls, pencils, everything, plastics, everything is runoff of oil. Oil is one of the basic building blocks of modern society, of our modern economy. So it's not going anywhere. And the only thing these governments can do is, you know, they're, of course, they're going to fight over it. But I mean, that's pretty much the spill. That's a lot. And that's a <laughs> lot. And that's a lot to unpack. But it's, but, but, but some of the things that stuck out, uh, Kevin, was that um, with this ESG score, because that's the one I took notes on, I thought, how is it <laughs> that oil companies can pay for their own demise. Oh, absolutely, they are. By funding, by funding these green initiatives. Oh, yeah, we bring, are... we, bring, we bring these left-wing groups into our company. And I, I wouldn't say groups, but I would say we bring these left-wing ideas. And um, there's, a, there's a famous, I don't know if it's called an idiom, I don't know what you would call it, but anything that isn't inherently, that isn't overtly conservative will become liberal. So what's happening with this ESG score is infecting all these companies with liberalism. So we have a group in our company. We have a, we started a woman's group a few years ago because of ESG. So we have a group of women that meet for the sole purpose of her purpose of just being women. We never had that in the oil and gas industry. And now we have a group where it's black people that meet and it's all the black people in the company meet. And they tried to invite me a bunch of times. And I said, I'm not joining that group. That's racist. You know, so they meet and they discuss black things and they bring in all these different black initiatives and all the company CEO, he goes and speaks at it. And he, it's the greatest thing ever. And um, they sure they tell take, white, they take a lot of pictures pass, and. Oh, yeah. And they passed. They had literature. Can't take cloth. That they had literature that said that um, if you're you're white, you just need to sit and listen. You know, you just need to just be quiet and just listen. So these are the things that are permeating through our industries and mainly because of the, a lot of it has to do with the ESG scores and they tied money to a capital. That is probably of all the things you mentioned, other than World War III, the most disturbing <laughs> thing that you mentioned, frankly. It, it, it really is because it's, it's something that, that I don't think a lot of people know about. I think I think no. we I, I think that we learned about the uh, 
the Chinese social social scores. Credit score. Yeah. 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 And we thought, huh, well, that seems stupid. I wonder how, <laughs> you know, I wonder how that's working out. But I don't I don't think people know that that's actually happening. Why? Because I, I wondered, why does a company based in Atlanta, Georgia, that's been around forever, suddenly decide to go super California woke? Which Coca- company are you talking about? I'm talking about Coca-Cola. Oh yeah, that's what they're doing. They're they're they got they have to these diversity inclusion people that okay, I can tell you right now. The person that was running, one of the people, not I'd say the person, the one of the people that was running their diversity departments and stuff on their board, they went to an oil company in Texas to be on their board. They now have them on their board. So that same person with that same left-wing energy, these people are infiltrating. They've already said they might not be able to get us. They might not be able to get us on the, the, the battlefield of ideas, but they'll sure go underground. They'll get in these companies and they have advanced degrees. They have Ivy League degrees. They don't know anything about anything. They don't know anything about the oil and gas industry. They don't know anything about how to make a Coke or even how to sell a Coke. They've infiltrated all these different industries. And that's that's how, that's how they get in through the SG score system. I am... You know, we are, let me get out of the way. You see that back there? <laughs> it, says, it says fight back. Fight back. Yes. How do we fight back? Other than raising our children and, <laughs> and, 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 and sending them to these Ivy League places, making sure that their brains aren't warped and, and, and be able to compete by- You infil- want me to tell you how to fight back? By infiltrating. Yes, please. Because we need to- You want me to tell you how to fight back? We need to fight back. Okay. Four things. First thing- get get married you got a girlfriend don't have a girlfriend get married have kids don't have one have three ball four five of them if you're 20 years old you need to get married you need to have a bunch of kids get married be upright being stay with your family don't cheat on your wife don't be a scumbag stay with your wife build a family build something so you do those three things and then the fourth thing is read your news Pay attention to what you're doing and read your news. Don't watch the news on TV. Read it. And the fifth thing is, praise God, get to know God, get a relationship with God. You do those things, those are the things that's going to fight back against these demons because we're fighting against demons right now. These are evil, evil people, and they mean the destruction of this country, and they mean the destruction of this world and your family. And the only way to fight against them is men got to stand up. Men got to be, you've got to have intact family so they will not be able to destroy us and divide us. They can't destroy a man and a woman if God then brought them together. Mm-hmm. You get two godly people together, ain't no demons going to be able to destroy that. And you raise some kids in that home, in that environment, the enemy won't know what to do. And then you're informed because you're reading your news, read two or three articles a day, and you're ready to fight the globalists. Well, that doesn't seem so hard. It's, it's not hard. It doesn't seem, it, but it, you know, it, you know, but people make that kind of stuff seem like it's impossible, especially people on the left. It makes it seem like it's impossible, like, like it can't, <laughs> like, like it just cannot be done by humans anymore. Well, I didn't say be rich. I just said get to know God and raise a family Amen. and be upright. Be honest. Don't lie. Don't be out here having these. Um, don't sit around playing video games all day. Get your butt out there and go build something. Don't get caught up in these vices of this decadent world that we're living in right now 
And don't get to thinking that some politician's going to come in and ride on a white horse and save you. Me and Willie have been talking about this since the first day we met. Ain't no politician going to come save us. You no. got to save yourself. Because I've been... <laughs> Calvary is, the Calvary is not coming. The Calvary is you. And we are, and, I, and I've been saying this since I started doing all this, we are the ones that we've been waiting for. Absolutely. You yep. are the one that we've been waiting for. You look in the mirror every morning, you're the guy. You're but the then girl. you say you're so free, you're so free, you're foolish. <laughs> Old people you say all the time. They, they so free they foolish. And yep, it's true. Exactly. And it's true. Uh, because think because if we make mistakes, if we live badly, for the most part, we don't starve to death. No. In other places we're in entering, the world. We're entering a time. Yep, we're entering a time, just like other places in the world, where if you make a wrong move, you're getting snuffed out. And that's the way it's gonna be. So that is ready for that. That is absolutely true. Um, so what we have to look forward to is whatever happens, and you know what, and and, and, I, and I heard you, and I and I heard you when you said that oil prices are are set by the global market, and 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 I and I understand that. Um, but what happens here and policies here, yeah, are also that's poured into the pot. It's poured into of, the pot of the global yeah, market. The global as well. market. Yeah. So, so it isn't necessarily incorrect to blame it's policies. Not. It's not policies no. of, of of this administration or any administration. Well, um, when you're talking about any kind of problem, the buck stops at the president. He's the leader of the free world. So, no matter that. what's happening in the world, it doesn't matter who the president gets to blame, right or wrong. So, even if the president did nothing, that's almost one of the that's one of the the few positives of being out of power is that. You can just get yeah, the president gets blamed for everything. You don't get the blame. You're not on. You're not on. You're not on the. You're not on the. Um, you're always on the. They're on the defensive. You know, we're on the offensive because we're out. So, the president's always going to get the blame because he is pouring things into the pot, and Biden's poured a lot into the pot as far as negative. He started. He ran on shutting down oil and gas, and now he wants to memory hold that and act like that didn't happen. He absolutely ran on shutting down oil and gas. We heard every single word he said, and he's been unsuccessful in doing that, but he's also been successful in chilling. That's another part of the chilling effect that's going on in the oil and gas industry is that, no, why would we want to drill when this guy's just going to regulate us to death? And we do have a lot of things that we, we can't do that we did before under Trump. We did have to scale back a lot in certain states. So those are things that got poured into the pot. Now, Biden has a big, heavy hand to play in this global markets price setting, but people try to act like, well, these oil companies are just greedy and they're raising the price. Like, they're not raising, we're not raising the price. This is happening for geopolitical reasons. Biden snubbed Saudi Arabia the first day he came into office. He snubbed them. And um, now they won't take his calls because the Saudis know one thing. If you're not going to go along with oil and gas in your own country, you're not going to be independent in your country, as far as energy is concerned, and Russia knows this too, you will need us before we need you. So we just have to wait. We'll put the squeeze on you. We'll raise the price up by scaling back production or not growing those ebbs and flows. Like I said, the ebbs and flows, America set the ebbs and flows. Saudi Arabia now sets it because we're in the back seat. Now we're producing a record amount of oil and gas in the United States. We, we, we certainly are. But the feeling it has nothing to do with what's happening. Those numbers don't mean anything. When you're talking about a global market, it's just like Wall Street. What do they feel? They feel like Biden said oil and gas is on its way out the door. 
they feel like America is not going to be energy independent that much longer. So the feeling becomes reality. And that's the reality we're living in today. Yeah, you know what? And I think, and I think you're right. I, I think that, that Wall Street especially is about not necessarily what the reality is, but what the, um, what the feeling is. It feels yeah. like this is happening. And then there, <laughs> and, and everybody wants to be on the front end of that in case, yeah. in case something, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. They want, everybody wants to be the, on the front end of that, especially yeah. on Wall Street. I, I mean, have you ever seen any videos of people on the floor, the traders on the floor, uh, they they need one inch of of news to drive the oh, whole yeah, thing. Oh yeah, they go crazy. They go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because, because no one wants to be be late to the party. Uh, no one wants to be late to, to the party, getting out of something or getting into something. So, um, I mean, in all honesty, it's rigged. Obviously, it's rigged. It's incredibly rigged. There's too much money at stake for it not to be rigged. But there is a sense of there there is an element of um spontaneity in there that rigness because they can the thing about the enemy is the enemy works the same in every mountain and that's the financial mountain but every other mountain the enemy works the same no matter what it's almost a universal truth there's a few things that the enemy has to do the enemy has to tell you what he's going to do before he does it you look at for example you look at COVID-19 look at all the training exercises and all the different things they did beforehand telling you that there's going to be a global pandemic and all these different things I know we said we were going to talk about COVID but right. the enemy the is always going to tell you what he's right going here. to do <laughs> got right the here. Enemy I will it. always tell you what he's going to do it's almost like a universal basic truth also because there's free will we have a chance to react and we have to push back so the act of pushing back, even if they're more powerful than us, the act of pushing back and not acquiescing, because a lot of things work off of, a lot of things happen in the spirit. Just like when they told you to bow for BLM or they told you to wear a mask. These are things that you're doing something in the spirit that's bowing to that thing. So putting that mask on bowing to that thing and I mean, I'm not saying universally, I'm saying like, and also kneeling for Black Lives Matter and things like that. You're submitting to something, getting an abortion. It's a sacrament to 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 um to the gods they used to in, in biblical times, they sacrificed their children to these different gods. That's the same thing that's a sacrament to Planned Parenthood. That's why they're proud of that. Or castrating children. They always have to go after children. These are all universal truths because children, of course, they go after children because children are um children are innocent you know and they're they're the few people they're probably the only people living you know that still have um some grace with god because they don't understand you know what i'm saying they don't understand sin gotcha. so they're almost perfect they're almost um in a sense yeah they're they're innocent so hurting the innocent you know that's a sacrament and that's like the ultimate sacrament is you know that's why they sacrificed um lambs you know, it's almost like you're giving it, they're giving it to their God. So these are some of the basic truths of the people that we're facing. And I'm, do I do I do I think that, you know, Hillary Clinton and all of them are literally like devil horns and all that stuff. No, this stuff is all in the spirit. These people, they are aligned with different things. And these people are aligned with evil and evil has reigned over this world. And it's nothing new. You look at World War II, you look at the 70s, you look at the 50s, look at the 40s. There's always been a remnant. Third, remnant means like 30%, 20%. Not a lot of us. We are outnumbered. We're outgunned. 
We don't have the money, but we got God. The remnant standing up and saying, no more. That's what it is. Not bowing to that thing. We will not bow to that thing. You will not brainwash us. And they, the enemy is always going to try. But you have to look. You have to see. You have to have that discernment. You have to say, um, what's really going on here, God? And what do I need to move in the spirit to break this thing off of what's happening in the world or in our nation or in our region? And everyone doing their part to not bend the knee to that thing and being upright, being married. Don't treat it like a side piece. Put a ring on that finger. Make an honest woman out of her. Love her. Be honest to with her. Don't cheat on her. Be a man. Build a family. Have kids. And we'll defeat this. We'll defeat this whole thing fast. You know, we just did a unit um, at church uh, talking about David. And oh, wow. yeah. David, you know what, and, and, and you know what, and, and David's the, per kind of, uh, the perfect encapsulation of what you were talking, uh, what you just talked about. Um, in the natural, David's a first of all, David's a kid, wasn't even mm -hmm. a soldier. He was, he was out there, you know, looking, you know, hanging with the sheep, talking to God every day, just chilling. Auto Trader makes buying a car easier than ever. How? With the largest inventory of new and used vehicles. AutoTrader lets you shop for cars by monthly payment, so you know what you'll pay before you buy. And you know the prices are good because they're backed by Kelly Blue Book. Finally, it's easy. Start shopping at AutoTrader.com slash finally it's easy. If you love scratchers from the Virginia Lottery, you probably also love when your dog nails a new trick. That's an everyday win, baby. Come on, Ranger. Roll over. <laughs> Hon, did you see? He did it. Ranger rolled over. Oh, yeah. And now he's peeing on the rug. The rollover, though, still an everyday win. Like Scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Available in different prices and varieties at a lottery retailer near you. The Virginia Lottery. Everyday wins. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. Small, of stature, physically, out, and, and, and just outgunned. Absolutely outgunned. However, Goliath, had told, had told the army, you know, you know, you, you know the deal. Yeah. I, I, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. But had told the army and continued to tell them for 40 days or 40 nights about what he was going to do and who they were and, and, and how they were peons. And, and, and I mean, and, and they were nothing. And they all bought it. The thing is that no one says they all bought it. They believe, yeah. they begin to believe what Goliath had said about them. they all they always do everyone always believes the evil um, I wouldn't say everyone I say everyone I don't mean everyone I mean everything like 75 percent I know you're talking about so everyone majority of people they always buy it people say man why does it seem like these people like first it was COVID there was Black Lives Matter then they took that off and now they're doing the COVID thing and then they moved on to Ukraine support Ukraine no matter what if you don't so if you question anything then you are, you know, you are treasonous and you need to go to jail. So these people, the majority will always go along with it. That's it just, it's all through the Bible. Every story you look at, it was the majority going along with it, going along with the tyranny. They always will. So you have to realize that, that if you're watching this and you agree with what we're saying, you are in the remnant. And being in the remnant means you, it's a lonely road. It means your family ain't going to be with you. You know, and it means that um, you're going to have a lot of days where you lose. We lose a lot. Read the Bible. You'll see. We lose a lot. You know, but 
we ultimately win, but these things we have, we have a choice and everyone has a choice. And every single day you wake up, you have a choice, whether you're going to be on the side of good that day, or you, whether you're going to be on the side of evil that day, whether you're going to build something or whether you're not going to build something, whether you're going to be, continue to be a liar, whether you continue to walk with Satan, whether you're going to continue to not open that Bible up and see what's going on inside of there and find your, you know, where you belong in this world and what you're supposed to be doing. You need to find every day, if you don't, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you need to be asking God, what am I supposed to be doing? Because you're supposed to be on one of those mountains fighting back. And I know Willie, Willie has been on this media mountain in a lot of a long time. He was on this media mountain by himself. I was doing it you know? before. I was, I was doing podcasts yeah. before podcasting was cool. <laughs> this dude that interviewed everybody that you see on TV today, this big time black conservative. Every black conservative in, the, in this sphere knows Willie Lawson. You don't believe me? I'm sorry. I'm telling you, I've been around. When I first came into conservatism, the first person I found was Willie Lawson. That's the first person you're probably going to find. Because <laughs> he's the one who's been podcasting the longest. I've been out here. You know? So it's it was a wilderness, right? Am I right? And you were, and you know what, and when you mentioned about being alone, you were, I was, you was, I was absolutely alone. Uh, and you're right, your family, you know, other than my wife and my son, who are in my house, who are in my home, um, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of support. Um, so you did things by yourself a lot and you went and, and you went a different direction a, a lot, all the time. The people that were your friends before, just either they, they backed off. Uh, I mean, they just backed off. Well, you know, he's doing that thing over there. <laughs> almost, almost like, well, maybe it's just a phase. Maybe it's just a phase. Man, you didn't have cool <laughs> candidates and stuff. You didn't have like fun guys like Trump around. You had freaking, you had, had John McCain. John McCain, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. You were having to go against Obama. That's tough, man. I started. That was a tough, that was a tough cat right there. Man. I he was started. Sick. Going against Obama, I—I I mean, oh, that's, yeah, that's where we started. When I, was, when I, I can tell you this right now, um, God's honest truth. When Obama was getting elected, you know, as, as Rush Limbaugh say, he was when he was a, a um, oh, I better not say. It. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> well, my uh, wife, my wife called me. Well, my wife, my wife called me, and she's like, "I'm onto this dude. This guy ain't no good." She called it from day one. This guy ain't no good. This guy's bad everybody's lining up behind him. This guy ain't no good. And um, those were tough days being a black conservative, being against Obama. But I can tell you this right now. We weren't, we were against Obama from day one, me and my wife. And we knew we, we called him the first day and um, we were absolutely right. Unfortunately, because he could have did a lot of good for this country. And you know what? It's funny you say that because I was, because I was kind of hoping I was wrong, but yeah. I had, you know, but I had seen that dude. I have seen him in other people locally. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I had seen, yeah, yeah, absolutely. you know, I had seen the person who was, who was the Superman, who was the slick, who, who basically could talk for, you know, for, for 35 minutes, excite a crowd, say, and say nothing. Uh, I'd yeah. seen, I'd seen that. And, and I saw this dude going, and all I could think of at every speech going, he's good. He's really good at that. He had that Ivy League, Ivy League cadence. He had that perfect cadence. No, 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 that's, no. That's some. No, 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 no. He talked in sentence yeah. fragments, and, yeah. and 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 
but but it was a it was it was a cadence that got people excited. Um, and and I thought this dude is good. He's a fantastic politician. Like you know, I always say, oh, no. a fantastic politician. I know he's belly laughing at Biden right now. He's like, dude, what is your dumb mistake? <laughs> Who runs on taking people's jobs away? That's probably universal as a politician. You don't run on negative things. You don't like say you're it. literally. We're gonna get people fired from their job for not taking a shot. Like you don't run on people losing their job, bro. They're gonna blame you every time. They're going to blame me. That's going to work against you. And 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 now <laughs> and, and now they're running around like crazy, spouting stuff that is completely and totally false. Oh wow! That everybody can see. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Joe Biden tweets the other day that. Um, that when he got in the office, there was no plan to pass out the vaccine, or yeah. when when every mm. when everyone knows already yeah. that that's not true. He said it Absolutely before, and a couple of days ago, he he tweeted who or whomever is tweeting for him. Yeah, because I don't think Joe's obviously up. he's not tweeting. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think he's got his um his jitterbug, and he's I, I don't yeah. think he's doing that. I I just don't. But whoever's doing that, they continue to push um, all these, all these. I guess the term now is false narratives. We used to call them lies, uh, <laughs> straight up lies. And they keep doing it. And they just keep doing it. Yeah. Joe shows up at the, um, at, 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 at the Democrat re- retreat and basically tells them, oh, we got a, a record to be proud of. Huh? Nobody believes that. They don't believe it. Because they know, because they know it isn't true, um, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and that, and, and and you know, and and even people who supported, who's you know, who I know who are who are Democrats who who hated Trump for some reason, they just hated. Well, they hated Trump because they were. I told them because you were told to hate Trump. That's because you were told to hate Trump. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, and um, they're even sort of looking with an ensconced eye at Biden and Democrats at this point. So it makes sense. And I know their internal polling is telling Democrats that they are about to take the butt whipping of a lifetime in November. All their, yeah, inter- his, all their internal polling are, is telling them that. Every poll I see is just historic. I haven't seen one that's, I don't think they're even able to register the amount of anger that is building right now. And yeah, he will get a slight bump from this Ukraine thing because that unites the country things like this, you know, right or wrong. I think his handling of it has been, I think he's been, I, I will say this one thing, which to compliment Joe Biden is that one thing to compliment him on this whole thing is that he understands what real war and real sacrifice looks like as far as a country is concerned, because he's old enough to be alive when a lot of things happen a long, long time ago. So he understands the threat of nuclear war. He understands escalation as far as nuclear war is concerned. And so he rightly chose a no, not to do a no-fly zone because I know he understands what that means. Now, to go, I was in the military too, so let's knock out some basic truths of this no-fly zone. A lot of people are putting out a lot of weird comments, you know, like um, the Lindsey Grahams of the world, the Mitt Romneys, the, the Warhawks. They're not telling you the truth about no-fly zones. No-fly zone mean, means... Now let's let's de- let's define the term no fly zone. No fly zone basically means you go over a region, and for example, a country like NATO, like a, a someone like NATO says that okay, we're gonna have a no fly zone over this region. That means 
nobody can fly over this area. And if anyone tries to, we're going to stop them. So that's presented as, okay, we just released a decree and all of a sudden everyone just stops flying in this area. No, this is what really happens. Let's look back at um, the, uh, the first Iraq war, Desert Storm. We created a, a no-fly zone before we invaded and everything, before that thing really got kicked off. We created a no-fly zone over southern Iraq. And so when we created that no-fly zone over southern Iraq, the first, I think the first day we went in there to set up the no-fly zone is we had to go in and bomb SAM sites because they had a lot of sites. You have to fly your aircraft over this area. And the Iraqis had a lot of SAM sites in the surface area, that surface area missile sites. And these are missiles that are made to take down planes, enemy planes. So they had to go in, they had to take out planes. So they had to cross over into Iraq and take those SAM sites out. And as they were taking those SAM sites out, a an Iraqi plane came flying into the no-fly zone. They warned him a couple of times. He didn't listen, so they shot him down. Now, if you imagine this playing out over the state of the country of Ukraine, it'll go like this. Um, Russia has more SAM sites than almost any country in the world probably more than the United States. Now, a lot of them are old. Some of them are new. He probably has a lot of his newer ones, very, very advanced SAM sites over the southern, over, over, the, over the Ukraine border because that's where a lot of things are happening right now. So he probably has a lot of SAM sites stationed over that. And he also has SAM sites and other service-to-air missile sites, anti-aircraft sites all around um, um, Ukraine. Not as many, but the majority of them are in, in Russia. So what you're going to have to do is, if you're going to enforce a no-fly zone, is you're going to have to fly sorties into Russia, and you're going to have to blow up those SAM sites, or you're going to have to get, um, you know, you have to do like tomahawks and stuff like that, do missiles from the ships off the coast, and this, I forgot what sea that is, I think it's the Black Sea or something like that, off of Ukraine, you probably have to have them um, shoot some missiles into Russia from there, which I don't even know if they go that far, that's just tangent, but um Essentially, what you're doing at that point is you are at war with Russia. So a no-fly zone means war with Russia. And when you look at military doctrine on both sides, that's on the Russian side and that's on the American side, military doctrine states, if two nuclear powers are going to war, go to war against each other, it will only end in nuclear annihilation. And mainly that has to do with the fact that it's a, I, for, I don't know if this is an idiom either, or just a saying, some old person said was that there's a saying in Russia essentially is that we are not going to what's the point of the world existing if we don't exist what's the world of, what's the point of a world existing without Russia and what that means basically is if they feel like they're going to lose in this shootout between two nuclear powers they will push the red button that is in their military doctrine and it's based off of that idiom that a world cannot exist without Russia. Think about it how you would think about it. Like, okay, I'm going to go down with the ship. If somebody was trying to take over your house and they were trying to take out your family, would you go around and hide or would you fight? You're going to use every weapon at your disposal. Be why? Because what are you going to lay down and let them kill your whole family? Do you want to exist without your family or are you going to use every means possible? That's how Russia views their country. And so, yeah, we dust them off in five seconds. And then we dust them off and as we're, as we're winning, they're going to have all their subs, which they have off the eastern seaboard and the western seaboard all the time. It's documented. Look it up. They have submarines all over the world and they're off the eastern and western seaboard right now. 
all the time doing their routine, you know, um, paths through our eastern and western seaboard right off the coast of DC. They will surface. They don't even have to surface. They can launch ICBMs from submarines underwater and we won't see them until they surface off the water. And by the time they come out of that water, six minutes, dead. There's nothing we have. We might be able to shoot down a few of them, but it's nuclear annihilation on both sides. That's death. So <clears throat> the people talking about um, nuclear war, and I even heard someone say small nuclear war and all these different things. No, that means the world is over, completely and utterly over. And they push the button and we push the button and that's it. It's, it they, got, they have nukes off the coast right now. They also, even if they don't do nukes, Let's say it's a situation where they, they are level-headed, they don't do nukes. They have, um, like I said, submarines. They have a lot of submarines. They have submarines right now over um, our cables, over our, our, elect our, um, our communication cables. cables. The communication cables that go underneath the ocean. And they're all over underneath the ocean. You can Google it. Just Google um, communication cables underneath the ocean. And they're huge, huge thick cables that are underneath the ocean and they're not like normal cables because they carry the internet and people think that a lot of this stuff goes through satellites some of it does but a lot of it goes through these undersea cables and a lot of like different grid things with the grid like um um energy transfers you know like there's oil and gas pipelines that go in our undersea cables there's um all kinds of different things but mainly the one i'm focusing on is the internet if you knock down just a few of those cables, you can knock down because all these all these internet basically is just servers communicating with each other and just creating pathways and nodes and stuff like that. You chop off a few, they have subs and they don't know this is all like this was all like an um um some of the Intel type things that I read, you know, that's been made public. They suspect that they have these submarines where they can drop. They have these things they are almost like anchors and they drop them on the undersea cables because they found some of these undersea cables around the, um, the straits around England. They had a couple that got in, in Norway that got cut in weird ways over the past like five or six years. And they, what they think is their speculation is that Russia has developed this system where they can drop something, it's almost like an anchor on top of the cable and it cuts it clean, but it cuts it in a way to where it almost looks like it just like was an accident, but you can't really tell how it happened. So you preposition certain submarines in certain areas and you cut the cables at strategic locations on top of doing a cyber attack, you can pretty much knock down the, well, if, even if you don't knock down the grid, you can create so much havoc. You're talking about, um, destructions that we can't even think about. I mean, you think about um, everything's run off the grid, off the, off the, off of the internet and things like, like our whole oil infrastructure is run off of a lot of different smart things that are connected to the internet and are connected to um, IP addresses and things like that. You're going to lose control to a lot of different things in the whole infrastructure of the world right now. The whole global economy is built off of the internet in a sense. So these are just things to worry about. You know, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying that these are things that I read, things that I know about. And I know that this is, this is deadly serious. And I think that 
Biden understands some of this, and I think that's why he's been reluctant to do a no-fly zone, because he knows that that means absolute annihilation on both sides. And that's one thing I think he's doing. I think that we wouldn't have gotten here under Trump because, of course, Putin sensed weakness. But if it did go down under Trump, I think Trump would, you know, bat it down in his own unique way. But I don't think Biden knows how to make it stop. I think he knows where it needs to stop as far as the red line, how far we need to go. But I don't think he understands how do we give this guy an off ramp so he can feel like he got something because you're just going to have to give him something. So go away. He's not, you can't, this can't go the way it's going because it's only going to end one way. So, so I don't, what I, I, based on what you said, um, the whole thing with, with Poland and the 28 MIGs, how does how does Blinken not realize that that is an escalation? Well, that was a poison pill, and see that whole thing was okay. I can explain that, please. So what happened was, what they what this is what they this is all being coming from the State Department. A lot of the stuff that's been going on with the overthrow and them putting in Zelensky and all the things going on with um with Ukraine has been going through the State Department, Victoria Newland. She's been a major, played a major role in that. She's over at, I think she's at the State Department um, still, I think she, but anyway. So the State Department has been doing all this. They're the ones they're using, um, I forgot the name of the organization, but they promote democracy around the world. They work with the United, they, they're, they're in the State Department. And I think it's like NIAD or something like that. I forgot what the acronym stands for, but they promote, promote democracy around the world. And essentially what they do is, they go around the world with this bucket full of money and they overthrow governments that they don't like and install governments that are friendly to the United States. That's how they support democracy. So that's you keep that framework in your mind when you're talking about this. Poland's been on the naughty list for a long time because Poland's been trying to get away from the global order and go back to conserve they're what they consider conservative in, in um the in that region. So what happened was. Um, you have the State Department try to say, okay, well, we're going to cut a deal to give you to give you guys these new jets if you give Ukraine your old mix. And the reason that we had to do it that way is because a, a lot of the they, their pilots, Ukrainian pilots, know how to fly American jets, like our modern, more modern jets. They don't. They're not like aces at it. But when you're in a firefight situation, you don't want to be like oh, which button do I push, you know, like thinking about it. It needs to be muscle memory. So they know Russian-made jets. So they had to find a country with Russian jets, and they went to Poland and said, okay, you guys got all these jets here. You know, what you're going to do is you can give them your jets, and we'll give you some brand-new jets. Fine. So Poland really didn't want to do it because they're like, uh, that's a bit much. You know, that's kind of escalatory. So Poland decided it would do is that Poland said, okay, Let's just give these um let's give these jets, let's fly these dress to um Ramstein in Germany to the big American base. We got a big base in Germany. Mm-hmm. So let's fly these jets over to Germany, drop them off, and then y'all can give them to y'all can give them to Ukraine. Well, the DOD was like, oh no, bro, we ain't doing that. What you talking about? You're gonna have a slide up, we're gonna do slide in there with these jets. They're gonna get we're gonna get shot down. It's gonna be World War Three. So DOD was like, no, we're not doing that. So the reason, the, the story behind that was, was that Poland didn't really want to do it. So they sabotaged it. That's why they did it like that. Okay. They were, what, what the State Department wanted them to do was a dummy mission. 
I don't know if you from the hood, you know what a dummy mission is. A dummy mission is when you get somebody dumb to do something dumb. If you love scratchers from the Virginia Lottery, you probably also love when your dog nails a new trick. That's an everyday win, baby. Come on, Ranger, roll over. <laughs> Hun, did you see? He did it. Ranger rolled over. Oh, yeah. And now he's peeing on the rug. The rollover, though, still an everyday win. Like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Available in different prices and varieties at a lottery retailer near you. The Virginia Lottery. Everyday wins. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. So they were like, dang, let's go trick Poland into giving flying these jets in here. And if the Polish get shot down, then, you know, that's on them. They'd be a dumb. Then we can play off of that. You know, we'll we'll create more chaos off of that. But it won't be our guys getting hit. The DOD ain't going on no dummy mission. The DOD doesn't met them, played the game with with the with um State Department. Like, we ain't going in a row with y'all. Y'all be playing too much. Y'all trying to get us out here getting caught. But um Poland sabotaged it for that reason. So and another port to make up to go into just a little bit on Ukraine. I'm not trying to take you take up too much of your time. No. The the bombing that happened over on the border with Poland, and a lot of people aren't talking about this. Now, do you? I don't know if you saw the coverage about the the them bombing that base that was right on the Polish border, but right on the border in Ukraine to Poland. Yeah, and it was big news. Now they've been bombing bases, you know. This is an invasion. They're bombing bases. They're taking over airports. That's what they're trying to do. So it really hasn't been that big a deal. You really didn't see that. But this this particular bombing really got them rattled. And would you like to know the inside scoop as to why? Yes. The reason why they got so agitated and so been out of shape about this one is mainly because we more than likely have, uh, well, let me be careful what I'm saying. There are no troops there that are so there are no troops there. No one there is, you know, American troops in Ukraine. But there are mercenaries and there are spooks. And one of the places that these people are filtering into Ukraine is through that air base. That it was a that base was a training base. That was a training base where uh, just a few just last year, I think Americans, American soldiers were there doing a training exercise. So that was a training base. That was a base where if they were bringing in mercenaries, if they were bringing in special forces who retired last year or the CIA or whoever, um, they, they were housed in that. That was the epicenter of where they were bringing in weapons. That was where they were bringing in weapons from the West. They were bringing in mercenaries. They were bringing in all these different groups to help fight against Russia. So what I think happened was when they hit that base, they, they hit it with like, I think it was like 20 or 30 missiles. And it was precise. They were very precise and they hit every single target. I forgot how many people killed. I think it's like killed like 180 people or something like that. Or it killed a lot of people and injured a lot of people too. It was very, very damaging. And so what I think happened was there were a lot of people there with there were a lot of spooks there, CIA type guys, State Department people, um, just a lot of people that weren't supposed to be there. And so it's almost like I like to relate things to the hood sometimes. It's almost like when you rob the when you rob a drug dealer. So you're not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to have troops there. You're not supposed to have anybody American that's supposed to be there. Nobody from the West is supposed to be Ukrainians. They're training. So you hit that spot and they secretly got all these spooks here that are speaking English. They can't say anything. They can be mad, but they can't say you killed a bunch of Americans. 
Because Americans ain't supposed to be there. So they're just, they, all they can do is be mad. It rattled them. And so that, after you saw that bombing happen, you started seeing, you know, them start really escalating that we need to have these talks. Because what I think was they were backfilling a lot of these people, a lot of these units that are, that are that are um fighting right now in ukraine some of the more elite ones i mean they're 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 the dom there's the um the nazis of course everyone talks about those nazis those nazi battalion that that um the battalion they have out there the asimov battalion they're almost like the elite of their their military they're they're up there they've been fighting a long a long time they've been fighting russians out there in ukraine but they're on the other side of the country where kiev is at I don't think they have as many people as they got, like, you know, with the Asimov Battalion. So they had people filtering in, but this is all my theory. So the Asimov uh -huh. Battalion stuff isn't my theory. That's real. But I think they had people feeling, um, funneling down, like, mercenaries and things like that coming in because they know that money's coming from all these Western countries. There's going to be money. There's going to be weapons. You know, there's money to make or whatever. Maybe they, or maybe they believe in what Ukraine is doing, whatever. You know, more power to them. But I think this bombing really rattled them because it's like a lot of people that they were expecting to go in and help push back the tide against Putin are gone. So you almost had like a brain trust that was getting ready to distrib be distributed across the country to replenish, you know, all their losses get knocked out. And so now they have to regroup. And so now that created like a little vacuum where it's like, oh, crap we had all these mercenaries going in and they were going to lead some of these people or be backfilling some of these spots in these weaker spots in Ukraine. And then weapons got destroyed and then all this got destroyed and they can't admit any of it. So all they can do is report it like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, Putin's definitely getting desperate, but Putin's intelligence is right on point. If he's hitting things like that, he already knew to hit the, to, to get into some of those biolabs. I think they said they got, he got two of them, you know, and it's, I, the one part I don't understand is about the, the bioweapons is that Putin has bioweapons, you know, so they're saying that he's going to get these bioweapons and he's going to use them. Putin has bioweapons. Russia is, Russia has a very large military. You don't think they have bioweapons already? So I'm not saying that he wouldn't release them, but I, it just doesn't make sense. If your troops are there, why would you release it? And if these are not bioweapons and they're just biological, you know, like diseases and stuff like that, why would you release a disease if you're there? Like, that'd be like, okay, you see Ebola sitting there on the table and you're a Russian soldier and Putin's like, you know what? We should release that Ebola in Ukraine while my soldiers is there. He doesn't care about his soldiers. They don't care about losing soldiers because their strategy more relies on encirclement and cutting off your resources and then creating these, they, they create these corridors, they call them um, refugee corridors. So they open up the refugee corridors and what they're hoping is, as they're bombing when, the, when they got you encircled, you can't leave, they bomb it, bomb it, bomb it. Then they open up the, you can go through and you can leave. And they're hoping that soldiers put down their weapons and just leave too and funnel out with the people. They'll let them leave too. <laughs> That's what yeah. they did. That's what they did. That's what they did in Syria. So what yeah. they did in Syria, to an ex to a large extent, they what they did in Syria is that they encircled them. They did something similar in um in uh oh crap I forgot the name um but the same they did they've done it a few times. They encircle you and it's like an old Russian thing and they've been doing it forever. Their whole thing is built off. They encircle you, 
and they call the inside a cauldron. And inside the cauldron, they just dump missiles. And then they'll send in people to like tank battalions to like shoot up some stuff here and there. But they mainly it has to do with you can't leave and you're getting bombed to death. They take over the water, they take over the power, they cut the power off, they cut the water off, and they pretty much just make it so miserable for you. And even if you don't get hit with the bomb, if your home is shaking because the bombs are dropping every single day, eventually you're going to get rattled and you're going to want to leave. Even if you're a soldier, you're going to get rattled and you're going to be like, they're saying that I can leave when they open up these refugee corridors. I'm just going to put my gun down and leave. That's what they did in Syria. They had so many people leave. Soldiers left, soldiers left, and people left, and eventually the city was empty. And they'll just keep doing it until you either give up or all the people are gone. And that's what happened in Syria. A lot of people left. And during the final months, you had just a small group of the true believers, soldiers, still fighting. But I mean, at that point, it's not even doesn't even matter. You know, you can send the soldiers in to mop them up, or you can um, just keep letting them be in this empty city with nothing on. And that's the same thing they did. They did in Chechnya is what I mean. They, they did it in Chechnya. And it's very bloody. That means you're blowing everybody up. You're blowing up everything. But you're, you're mainly just trying to get them rattled. And you're going to close the cauldron, bomb the crap out of it, open it up. Okay, you guys can leave if you want to leave. Please just leave. We want to just leave and go be with the Red Cross. And then close it back up, bomb it like crazy, open it back up. You know, that's what they've been doing. So that's how their strategy works. And a lot wow. of people don't talk about that because they think about shock and awe and they don't understand that their their whole military strategy is not like ours. We don't do shock. They don't do shock and awe. What they want to do is they want to preserve as much as they can your political structure. That way, when your country does fall, we don't have to like we did when we went to Iraq, we killed everybody. We blew everything up. We told the army they're dismissed. We told the judges to go away. We, we destroyed the whole system and knocked it down. They don't do that. Their military doctrine, right or wrong, is basically we're going to try to preserve those pillars and tell those people, hey, if you want to just stay and go be the mayor of that little city or whatever. Now, if you're they take over and you're like bad, or they don't like you, they're going to get rid of you or whatever because they're not good people. They're evil. The Russians are evil. But this is just their military strategy telling you it dry and unemotionally. But this is so they'll they want to preserve those political structures. They want to preserve the infrastructure as much as they can. And they do all that. That way, when it's over, they can just they can it's easier to already have the mayor still be the mayor. It's easier just to have the dog catcher to still be the dog catcher. And then you put a puppet at the top. You put puppets in little places here and there. And then that's pretty much it. So it's not like what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan, where we just leveled the whole thing. We leveled all political structures and everything, and we had to rebuild. And that's where you have a lot of chaos. They looked at us doing that, and they're like, that's stupid. You're going to have a ton of chaos because there's no mayor anymore. There's no police chief. Keep all those things intact and tell those people, we won't mess with you. Just go do what you was doing before. Just don't mess with us. And once they knock your country over, if it works, which I don't, I don't know if you can say it worked in Syria. I guess it did. I mean, they, <laughs> the president's still in charge, and they still have a country somewhat. Um, and same thing in Chechnya. They did some similar in Chechnya, but the Chechnyans was Muslims, and they weren't playing. They was doing suicide attacks and all kinds of stuff. But that's a different conversation. But that encirclement and keeping your um, structures intact 
is basically their military doctrine. It's not shock and awe. So when you see people on TV say, well, they haven't taken the country or they haven't done this or they haven't gone into here and they're stalling, they don't care about any of that. They don't care about using their soldiers as cannon fodder. They don't care about their soldiers dying. They don't care about losing weapons. To them, it's a numbers game. They have a equivalent to what Ukraine, not Ukraine getting backfilled and having all these mercenaries coming in. Ukraine without all that. And they have like way more soldiers than they have. They have way more planes. They have way more tanks. So there's no way that if they just keep going, it's going to keep going to the point where they're just going to have to give up. What they didn't count on was Zelensky fighting. They didn't count on that. They didn't count on him not giving up. And he didn't give up. And usually what they do is before they go in, they pay off a lot of people. They pay off a lot of politicians who like they think might be on the fence. So that's kind of how it works before they would have went in, which it, I don't I don't think it was effective this time. Because if it was, you would have saw a lot of people just like flip really fast or just like be soft. No, oh, I don't want you to come in, but whatever. Come on. You know, they'll pay don't, off mayors. Don't, they'll don't pay do off, it. Yeah, please they'll don't pay do off, it. Yeah, they'll pay off regional leaders. They'll pay off military people. And when it's when it's when it goes into effect, everyone just kind of just lays the. You have certain segments of the economy and government, and all these people lay down, essentially, and let it happen. So when it works right, which it, I don't think it, I don't think you can point to a country where it did work right. But in theory, when it works right, you'd already have paid off the people. You roll in. You encircle the people that don't want to leave. Then they do, they do the refugee corridors and they leave. And then you end up with a country that's mostly intact, has all the same structure as before. It just has a puppet at the top. And you don't have to, and you don't have to, you don't have to nation build. You don't have to nation build because you don't care about, you know, in a sense of like with Syria, you don't, you don't necessarily care. They can be Muslim if they want to be Muslim. I mean, the thing about the, the, the Soviets, when they were in charge, uh, when they used to go nation build, they didn't care if the Muslims wanted to be Muslim. They let them be Muslim. Now, eventually they tried to indoctrinate them and that didn't work a lot very well, but they would go to Muslim countries and they would be like, yeah, you can praise Allah, but guess what? Communism's awesome and you should be an atheist. <laughs> you know? But um, they'll try to do it in subvert ways, subversive ways, but <clears throat> yeah, they're not going to nation build. They think nation building is stupid. Most of these other countries think nation building is stupid. Well, you know, I think nation building is stupid. Um, <laughs> unless if you're going to send our blood and treasure across the sea or, or anywhere, my thought is then you got to go somewhere and put it the flag and put the flag up or not do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They got to give us something. Put you the flag up. Have a country. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. If you're not going to put the flag up and then this next Next group of people you're going to send are from Marriott and Holiday Inn to build resorts. <laughs> um, then what are we doing? What are we exactly. Doing? And if you're not going to send your kids, then why would I send mine? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, listen, man. This was this was this this, this was in the weed stuff, and I appreciate that yeah. because because no, I think that there that we are so soundbite heavy and so mm -hmm. simple narrative heavy that we don't have and conservatives just don't have a a, a a a full 4k picture of what we're looking at we're looking yeah. at things as if we're looking through our flip phone yeah and we're in our flip phone and yeah. um and we need a four we need a 4k picture an 8k picture 
absolutely in order for us to be able to, to to ask what do i you know when you ask god what do i do what's my part in it you got to have a picture a vision of well, what's going on so you can make sure that your part in it is going to be effective but if you've got a you know what a um one of my favorite tiktokers uh uses a an old flip phone you know he's if, if, if that's how you're seeing the world through your through your little flip phone your little motorola flip phone you're not getting a clear picture and i think that sometimes we've got to take people into the classroom so to speak and give mm -hmm. them a full picture of what's going on um so they aren't just going from tv sound bites and not going from um um you know political speeches yeah. um what's really happening which mean nothing which mean nothing and nothing. from people who have an agenda these people have it they all have an agenda they're all everyone yeah. has their side and everyone has their agenda you know little marco rubio is a good soldier for the deep state he was he was put out there last week to have victoria newland newland frame the idea that if they do have a biological attack that it came from russia he's the one that started that narrative he's a good soldier He's a soldier for the deep state and he does what needs to be done. So all these people, while they're talking, you have to understand that they're funded by companies like Raytheon. They're funded by a lot of these mega defense conglomerates. The mega defense conglomerates in February and January, they had their quarterly meetings with their investors. You can go read the transcripts of these. They had meetings where they said that this next quarter, we're going to have one of the, we're going to have way more profits than we've ever had. Um, they didn't say anything about the war. They didn't say we we're going to war, but they just they said that we're about to have massive, massive profits. And they sent their little soldiers out to all these different news stations. A lot of these people, these new faces you're seeing on these news stations and some of mold that are they have defense names behind their names and they're X this guy or X that guy having to do with defense. And they're talking about the war. Look into some of these guys. Some of these guys are previous spokespeople for some of these mega defense conglomerates. Some of these people are connected with mega defense conglomerates. They're, they're not exactly lobbyists, but they're, I'm in media. Willie's in media. He knows how this stuff works. The people you see on TV are there for a reason, and they're there to push some kind of narrative. And if you're not towing that narrative, then they're going to take you out, or they're not going to let people to see your stuff. That's exactly right, and that's how, and that's how it works. And that's right, CNN, man. Fox News, everything. Yeah, well, especially CNN, Fox News, MSNB, MSNBC, MSLSD, um, ABC, CBS. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all of them. Oh, well, of course. Of course. All the corporate media, legacy media, uh, all, yeah. all the corporate they, media, you ain't radio never seen stations. Fox get, you ain't never seen Fox get censored off Facebook. Tell me when they got censored. I'll um, wait. Not Tell me time. when a video got taken down off of YouTube. I'll wait. I don't know, man. I'm just letting you know. You better pay attention. They took that Biden money for the COVID that propaganda. You better look into it. They anyway, did. All right, I'll let you go. <laughs> they did. Yeah, we. I mean, yeah, this could be a six-hour thing, and in actually, and then a video that's impossible to render. Uh, <laughs> all right, Kevin. Well, well, well. Thanks so much for the information, man. Give everybody at your house a hug from everybody at my house. Uh, yes, sir. Like, we'll you know, do. And, and everybody um, who's involved in Fight Back Media, my friend Paul Swanson of the SwansonReport.locals.com, again, and um, he's you know he's he's been a, a, a huge help. Uh, Swanson um, killing it on Instagram. His Instagram game is tight. We're trying. We are trying um, because again, everything's a landmine. Everything's yeah. a landmine because 
I could be right, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You could be truthful. I could be truthful. I could. Mm-hmm. I, I could be compassionate. I could be yeah. careful, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because if it doesn't, doesn't fit matter. the narr- narrative, poof, it's gone. Uh, yeah. You know that's how my TikTok is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, TikTok, yes, because sometimes you have to go into a lion's den. You just have to. Absolutely. And you know what? And you know what it's going to be. Um, but you have, but you have to go anyway because sometimes the truth, the truth has to be spoken. It has to get into the air. It has to get in the atmosphere. It's got to get yes, into sir. the environment somehow. And if it's me, if, if it's me doing it, fine. I don't know how I got picked. But okay, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I just don't know. But I'm good to go. All right, man. Listen, let's get out of here. Listen, t- take care of yourself, and take care of everybody around you. And um, and listen, folks. Thanks, thanks again for hanging on. Um, in in in, in you know in this video, it was it, it's, it's a little longer, um, but it's good stuff. The way that you can help us is to share it. Don't just like it, but like it. Write a comment. And send it to somebody else because you yes, sir. are our distribution you know, system. We don't have a distribution system. We don't have a company that's gonna take take this video and ta- or take this audio and share it with the world. We ain't got that. All we got is you. And and this may and like Kevin was talking about earlier, this may be your part. This may be the thing that you get to do. That you share this with you share this with your friends and family and like-minded people and your and your conservative clubs, your Republican clubs, your, your libertarian clubs or whatever, you have to share it. It's not just for you, it's for all of us. And if you will do that for us, then then you can feel like you like like at least you've helped out some. Take share it with five people and implore them to share it with five more because that's how it works. That's how we yes, sir. all right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna bid you a fond adieu. I've got, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish my dinner and um, render this video. Um, sometime it'll be done sometime about four a.m. I can't uh, wait to post it, man. I'm gonna put it up, and it's gonna be good stuff. All right, again, thanks so much. Thanks, thanks for watching, everybody. Until we see you again, go out there and learn something, love somebody, and for goodness sakes, don't take care of yourself. We'll see you when we see you. Bye bye now. Hey, kiddo, how was the hill? Did you learn anything? Yeah, that ripping pow induces spontaneous joy. The Icon Pass lets you do you at 50 destinations worldwide from 249 Adult. Drop in for next winter now and save at IconPass.com. Oh, hey, kiddo. How was the hill? Educational. Oh, learn a new trick? Yeah, the trick to a happy, fulfilling life, maybe. I learned that mountain air unleashes my inner peace. And Rip and Powell, well, the whole crew's all, you induces spontaneous joy. Okay, uh, that's nice. The Icon Pass lets you do you at 50 destinations worldwide from 249 Adult. Drop in for next winter now and save at IconPass.com.